welcome to Minute 28 of Movie Rob Minute, the daily podcast, where we take a wild trip through the 1987 John Hughes comedy, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, one minute at a time. I'm Rob, and joining me once again today is Jim O'Kane, who's been on so many different Movies by Minute podcasts, like The Rocketeer, the Apollo 13 Minute, and a whole bunch of different collaborative projects, including the current one that's that's running consecutively with us, the Silverado Minute. So welcome back, Jim. Thanks for having me. It's uh, here we are at Hump Day already, and uh, uh, we, you know, it's funny. Uh, yesterday we were talking about um, minutes that don't have much going on, and <laughs> trying trying to find things to talk about. So here here we are at that very opportunity with uh, very little dialogue, but uh, quite a bit of action. There is there is no dialogue in this. There's there's mumbling. That's <laughs> the only. The only bit of dialogue that we have throughout this entire minute is one of the characters mumbling for what is it, two seconds? Yeah, and <laughs> that's I, where we go. And the uh, and the, the 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 pigs at the end of the minute don't get a screen credit, so I guess they don't. No. they don't have any no. any words. <laughs> they do not. So episode twenty eight begins with Neil realizing that he's going to stay in this, this motel in the end, and he starts returning his belongings to the shelf. And goes all the way till, as you just mentioned, by spoiling it for everyone, big <laughs> <laughs> squealing. <laughs> wow. And uh... oh, so basically, yesterday we finished this argument between Dell and and Neil. Both of them pretty much have said all they have to say at this point and are ready to basically move on. You know, just just deal with with what they're what what they've been dealt. Yeah, you know, just, we 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 talked about it uh, in in more detail yesterday about the fact of how each of them really got their per- personalities. They they show their personalities to to the audience through these past few minutes, through this this deep argument, and we actually get to see an even deeper part of their personalities by seeing the way that they both finally just have. I, I wouldn't say give up, but the two of them have have said, okay, we've we've done enough. Let's just move on from here. This is, I guess, something they had to get out of their system. Yeah, it, it didn't clear the air, but it just blew off steam, I guess. Um, they, yeah. Uh, they're just in a, trying to find a modus vivendi, and it's not not there. But uh, yeah, very. Um, I it, it I get in this uh, in this non this non dialogue minute. I think what it, where I usually go is I, I start looking at other things when when I when I find a no, a no dialogue minute. Um, well, because there's so much going on here. Oh yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> well, it's little 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 moments of of 80sness and earlier things. Um, the thing that I noticed the most in this movie of being part of the 80s are the uh, the coat hangers. Uh, yes. You know, it is a it is a <laughs> it is a low rent, low budget, uh, you know, one one star hotel on a highway. Um, you'd, but, you'd, you'd call it a one-star hotel? Maybe. I don't even know if and, we would go that far. <laughs> if they let you do a half-star, maybe. You know, just it, it does have uh, indoor plumbing, barely. Um, but uh, I noticed the the dollar store uh, plastic uh, coat hangers, which any yes. any hotel any hotel even like a half a step up from that would have the the wooden ones that have the the, the hooks that fit into the other hooks that are permanently mounted on the uh, on the. On the coat hanger right can't steal this, basically <laughs> yeah exactly and this is these are instead of doing it that way these are coat hangers that nobody would want to steal yeah exactly um, <laughs> it's, it's uh, cheaper to go and buy them than, than to have to deal with stealing them yeah i i have to say that the, the set decorators did did their job very well everything there um there's just so much 
there's so much awful in well it is a, it is a real motel so the question is is whether it really you know whether they use the real stuff in the room or not yeah i i would guess i mean like the the exterior would be real but i'm just wondering if this this to me looked like it was built as a set um you know just uh and they they took some of the accoutrements of the of that hotel not that they're hard to find but it just seems like oh gosh the giant um the giant feathers that are sticking out of the vase by uh, Steve Martin's side of the the bed and the hard, horrible artwork and those push button lamps that are mounted on sconces on the wall. I, I, you can anybody who's ever, ever stayed in a hotel that knows how hard that is on your thumbs to, to turn it off because those those switches are just they're not built to twist or or push. Um, but yeah, just I, I do the thing that I love the most about this. Uh, we've all stayed in bad hotels and boy, this really, you can, you can smell it. You can, yeah. you can feel the stickiness <laughs> as you're in the, you don't, you don't take your socks off when you're, you know, walking on the floor. Right. Which, which um, is interesting. The fact that Dell still makes himself very comfortable in a place like this because your yeah, normal yeah. person would be somewhat grossed out by a lot of things that go on in these type of motels. And Dell yeah, is not Dell. You know, this is where he, he usually is now. I mean, something that, that, that I haven't mentioned up until now, you know, you see that they're both using the same bedspread or blanket. You'd think that they would have yeah. called up the front desk and at least asked for another one. <laughs> yeah. I just, it's uh, not like you're you going to get one that's going to be dirtier than the one that, that you have on the, on the bed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you know, if, uh, I, I, I mean, my, my personal experience with being in a hotel like this is the last thing you want to do is put that bedspread on because the the sheets might get washed, but that bedspread never gets washed. <laughs> That's so true. Also. Like you just peel it off with tongs and then just go, you know, su- suffer through with just just using the sheets. Um, yeah, but but, but yeah, but you uh, got to give them credit. It is it is the end of November, so it yeah, could be that yeah, it's very it cold, and who knows if the heat really works well there. So they they might need that. Yeah, yeah. It's um, uh, even though Neil yeah, isn't you, isn't dressed for 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 the winter, Dell is. Uh, but Neil is yeah, not. No, I, yeah, yeah. Just you can feel you can feel the crunchiness of the carpet in that, in that uh, hotel. I um, uh, I, I can remember I, I stayed at a Days Inn in Philadelphia once, and it was the only place that was available. And I just remember that the uh, the the rug made noise when you walked on it. It was just, <laughs> it was, <laughs> and it didn't it didn't squeak. It kind of like smushed. Ooh. And the uh, the the bathtub didn't drain. I mean, I turned on I turned on the shower to take a to take a shower in the morning, and uh, it I just started hearing this deeper deeper sound. And I, I looked in the shower, and it you know the 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 drain was open, but nothing was going down. Oh, well. Okay, well I guess <laughs> I'll just uh, head out and find a find a shower later. It was rough. <laughs> um, yeah. So th- it, 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 it's a very it's a very tactile uh, movie, but yes. This, this minute, I could just imagine snuggled up next to next to John Candy in a really bad hotel room, and just must be, ah, oh. uh, yeah, very. You, you can you could feel it down the you know down the base of your spine. Yeah, just, completely. Uh, no question about that. So so the two of them basically, Neil decides to to get back in bed and just go to sleep, and you we see once again the two of them trying to get comfortable in the bed, right? And then the the scene switches and we get a shot from outside we see the door tour to to the motel room and we see a shady figure standing there and then he 
pulls out a, a switchblade and you see that he picks the lock with the switchblade. Now, what, what do you know about switchblades? Uh, I know that they can't pick locks because the tumblers, the tumblers inside that particular kind of lock. I mean, it's not a Schlage lock, but it's a, that I know that that type of lock has at least four tumblers on it. And I don't, <laughs> I don't see how, how you're going to get what's basically a, you know, an oversized butter knife in into the slots to to move it. But you know, this is a movie. Maybe so it's that, broken. That's how you do it. <laughs> if if the, if, it, if it's, if it's yeah, broken, it could, it, actually, if it was broken, then you don't even need the switchblade. You can just turn the knob. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It might just be there's a pin or something, a single pin that he has to push in, similar to uh, what they use in like bathroom doors and stuff. You just need right. something pointy enough. Um, could be. I don't know much about switchblades, but it's a very pretty yes, switchblade. That is I have true. to say that. That is true. Nice do, you, do you know any other names for, for switchblades? Um, no, no. But I'll Okay, so it, it's sometimes uh, – of course I do. <laughs> I, I now do. I didn't know before I did research, but I now know. So uh, it's sometimes called an automatic knife, a push-button knife, an ejector knife, a spring knife, a flick knife, or a flick blade. So the, the the obvious idea of a switchblade is is that you push a button and it pops out, and the 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 it, you basically just have you only have the handle and when you push a button so the blade pops out. So there are three different ways that they made these. Okay, you have the ones that come from the side opening, which we probably all remember from like movies from the fifties and stuff like that. Where uh, I'm pretty sure. Exactly. Yeah. I, yeah. I, no one oh, can yeah, see what sorry. you just yeah, did. No, no, it, it was, you know, it, it's like if uh, the only. Other... It's a West Side Story. Yeah, yeah, movie, yeah. You know, yeah you followed just... by a musical number and everybody snapping their fingers. So uh... exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So you have them that they 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 come out of the side. Okay. Now these are considered the most durable of switchblades. Uh, they're also usually much cheaper. The problem is, is that you can't grip the handle as firmly when you're activating the knife because you have to make sure that your hand is not in the way of where it's going to pop out, ah. right? And another uh, con of having this type of, of switchblade is that you're they're more limited in the type of shapes that the blade can be because the blade has to to fit in to the side right. of the whole thing, okay? Then you have... Uh, another type of switchblade, which is known as an OTF knife, it's it's out the front. Mm. Okay, so what what those basically are? There there are two different types. You have the double action OTF knives and the single action OTF knives. Okay, the the double action ones are the ones where when you push the button, it pops out, and you can retract the blade also by pushing the button again. Ah. Okay, so the the, the so problem... it's kind of a release that would also, and then there must be a spring at the bottom so that when you press it in, it yeah it charges it for the next release. Okay, correct. So the the advantage of these type is that uh, it automatically retracts the the blade, and it has a what's known as an at rest position for the for the spring. Okay, the the problem is is that that the mechanisms are much more complicated, and therefore. They're they're much more expensive to buy these type of knives, but they also have a weaker firing action because of the fact that they need to go both ways. They need to go right out and back in. So and they're then, probably prone prone to malfunctions too. Yes. I think if mm -hmm. yeah. correct. Uh, and then you have the single action OTF knives, which basically you push the button and it pops out. But in order to put it back in, you can do you have to do that manually to to retract it. So. They, the, they say that, that, that these are, are better because they're, the blade is more firmly attached 
because it only has to, to pop out one way with the spring. And it also displays a lot less wobble and play than what you have in the double action because of the, the fact that it has the double springs. I may be misremembering this, but if I if I recall correctly, somewhere in the late 60s, I think blades were made illegal that you wouldn't be able to sell them. We're the going to get into that right now. Oh, okay. <laughs> so how many states or U.S. territories do you think today it is illegal to carry a switchblade? Um, of the 50, go what with, would you say? Maybe eight. Very close. There are seven. Okay. 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 Delaware, Hawaii, New Mexico, Puerto Rico, the U.S. Virgin Islands, Virginia, and Washington. Those are the seven states and territories that it's illegal. Now, they have five other states which have – it's known as limited. Okay. So I I just found it really funny, so I'm going to quickly read off what, what these limited things are. So in Illinois, you're allowed to carry a switchblade if you have a valid firearm owner's identification card in minnesota it's illegal unless it's allowed under exceptions made for collectors and or possession as curios or antiques so if if you have a store that's selling antiques you can have a switchblade in in new jersey and pennsylvania you're only allowed to to possess it if you have it for lawful purpose i'm not really sure what that really means (laughs) i don't know what a lawful (laughs) purpose is you're not going to rob a bank with this, are you? No, no, no. Okay. I, you... I have it for lawful purpose. <laughs> I, I wasn't able to figure out what a lawful purpose really is. And in New York, you can have if you if you have a hunting, fishing, and trapping permit, then you're allowed to have a switchblade. So I uh, I, I thought that was pretty funny. Was so just... you you mentioned about the fact that you weren't that that you were curious as to when it became illegal to to use it. So federally, it's a big problem. You're not allowed to to send it across borders or take or or take it across borders in the 1950s they 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 had a lot of problems with it and the tabloid press would were continuing to the, the newspapers as well as tabloid press were promoting the image of violent crimes being caused by young male delinquents with switchblades Okay. Yeah, I I blame Leonard yes. Bernstein. Um, <laughs> and in 1954, Democratic Representative James Delaney of New York actually authored the first bill submitted to Congress banning the manufacture and sale of switchblades, which began which began a wave of legal restrictions worldwide and a consequent decline in their popularity. Obviously, once it's illegal, <laughs> nobody's going to want. <laughs> nobody's going to have to deal with it anymore. I was wondering if that de- if it's declared as arms. I mean, I'm just wondering if it, like if anybody ever posted any kind of a Second Amendment, um, you know, ca- counter yeah. to it. That, um, I don't know about just, that. I mean, just, one of the things that I researched here, and we're not going to go into it, is I also have listed every single state whether you're allowed to carry. A switchblade or not. The what what I mentioned earlier about the illegal or legal aspects of it was possession. So there's the whole idea of possession oh, and yeah. carrying one. But we're we're not going to go into that. That 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 would be too much to, no. to start talking about it. Yeah, I, I, I was I was just looking up what uh, I live in Texas and I was you know what what's the Texas knife law? And as of September first, twenty thirteen, it is legal to manufacture, sell, repair, transport, and possess switchblades. Uh, but only um, only if it's less but, than five point five inches. Ah, okay. Um, but and you're still restricted to bring in areas like courthouses, police stations, schools, or government facilities. Yes. So, oh well, I, <laughs> yeah, I, 
I, it's good. It's good to know I can go out and get a switchblade. I just don't know where I where I'd get one. So I'll just I'm just going to stick with my Exacto knives because that seems to work best when I'm uh, doing stuff around the house. I can't imagine a switchblade as long as it's for lawful purposes. And, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so all right, I I feel it's this. I think we've covered the switch <laughs> very adequately now, but yeah, I I, I think yeah, I would guess not on the skill of the switchblade uh, user here in this in this picture, but more on the uh, deficit of that yeah. uh, that hotel exactly. room uh, key, which uh, you know, and and now he'd be defeated by all those um, uh, near field uh, cards that you know yeah, that, that are in true. hotels nowadays because. <laughs> Nobody, the old the old key that used to be able to drop in any mailbox to send it back to the hotel, those days are gone. Exactly. So basically, this this thief breaks into the room with uh, with his switchblade, and then we see him crouching next to, to Dell. We see uh, a guy in a hat. Now, this the actor who plays this is Gary Riley. Do you, do you recognize him from anything? Have you seen him in anything? No. Okay, so he. I may I may have, but I don't know by the name. He was in uh, a number of of movies in the nineteen eighties. He was in Stand By Me. He played Charlie Hogan. Oh, okay. okay. He was in Ruthless, Ruthless People. He was actually in Back to the Future, playing one of Biff's uh, henchmen. And wow. he's mostly known for his role in Summer School, where he played Dave. Oh. You had two two of the, the, which is a Carl Reiner film, as you mentioned earlier this yeah. week. So it, there, we had these two characters, Dave and Chainsaw, who were these uh, horror movie freaks who constantly talk about horror movies and, and they want to make a horror movie and things like that. So he's one of those characters. Okay. I, that is a fascinating hat that he's wearing. It has yes. like a zebra striping to it. And I, I don't know if that's a brand or yeah, a, just... no clue. I wasn't able to find that one out. So this, this actor was actually rumored to have died in a car accident in 2007 in a car accident in New York. And hmm. Apparently, there was another actor with the exact same name who died, and that's why people had the misconception that he actually was this actor who died. And he ended up posting on Facebook a, a picture where he basically said, I'm still alive. Oh, he had to hold up like today's newspaper and say, yeah, of life. exactly. Wow. That type of thing. Now, he was also in the running for one of the two top spots in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Wow. And apparently, he was, he was one of the finalists and, and missed out on it. So when we talk about the script, we'll get more into to him because the, his character is is much more detailed in in the script. So basically, he rifles through the the wallet and pulls out a large wad of cash. Okay, and he has this like very wicked look on his face yeah. when he's taking out the money. And then what's interesting is he folds up the money and puts it in his hat. <laughs> he doesn't put it in his pocket or anything like that. <laughs> and and the music is pretty good here. It's it's like this mysterious type of music yeah. trying to think. And then we see Neil moving a little bit. And then he, he looks up, the, this thief looks up and sees Neil moving. And then he crouches down. So apparently, you know, not to be seen or anything like that. But I believe that what he's doing there is he's actually going to over to Neil's side to go steal his money. Ah, okay. Yeah. But I, noticing when he's pulling out the... The bills that is a lot of one dollar bills. I, I don't know how much, yes. how much Dell had, but it didn't seem like it was very much. He, um, it, right in in the script we we talked about it last week. He he had hundreds of dollars in his in his wallet, mm. but uh, maybe it was all in ones. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, it was. It was this in the was this in the original script or was this added in later? Or 
Uh, we'll we'll talk about that in a few minutes okay. when we get to the the end of the minute. I'll, okay. I'll keep you in suspense okay, yeah. for a few more minutes. Yeah. And uh... okay. Then we basically, you know, he leaves the room, and we we see we see a shot from outside of of the motel, and it's morning, and they show a a long shot of the whole of the hotel from far, which, which is pretty interesting. I mean, like, what would you think the significance is that they're showing us this with a whole bunch of pigs uh, well, you know, I, I, across the if, way? If you've ever been anywhere near a pig farm, the smell is indescribable. It is just, it's like living next to a pay, I think paper mills and pig farms. Um, just to give an example, the, uh, the town of Secaucus, New Jersey used to supply bacon to the New York city area. And they had a large pig farm in the Jersey Meadowlands. The pigs, uh, they stopped having the pig farms there in the late 1950s, early 1960s. To this day, you can still smell um, pig uh, feces from, you know, 50 to 70 years after they they got rid of the land. Wow. The the smell is incredible. Um, So just if, if, if you know anything about Anything about being around any of our porcine uh, folks here? It's uh, yeah. This this is like I think John Hughes knows. Roll up your windows. Yeah, definitely. It's <laughs> you know, hold your breath and get, wait for the next mile marker to show up because it is it's pretty awful. Right. I mean, I th- I think that the reason that they're showing this is to show us that this motel is in one of the worst places yeah. possible. Yeah. You know, it's it's right across the street from a pig farm. Yeah, it, that's, it's that's what it comes and, down and to. you see all the like in the background of even though this is only a couple of second shot in the background of this uh, uh, motel. There's a bunch of uh, eighteen wheelers. It's a large uh, a large truck uh, parking lot behind there. All the different rider trucks yeah. and things. So you're going to be awakened in the morning by the smell of pigs and the sounds of diesel engines starting up to get on their their day's work, which is probably like four or five o'clock in the morning. <laughs> it's just yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, so basically, this 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 whole scene supposedly takes place in Kansas. So uh, I did a little bit of research, and there are currently one thousand hog farms in Kansas. Okay, and one hundred and fifty of them produce over ninety nine percent of the state's pigs. Wow. Meaning, meaning that most of those. Hog farms have very few pigs on them. Yeah, that's okay. You yeah. don't, you don't so, need many. I can tell you that. <laughs> it's pretty, yeah. pretty bad. Um, All right. Well, Kansas is is the number ten state in hog and pig inventory, producing about two point seven percent of the nation's total. In twenty nineteen, Kansas producers sold three point seven million market hogs, feeder pigs, and seed stock with a gross market value of nearly $500 million. Wow. Okay. These hogs produced over 600 million pounds of pork, which helped feed millions of people in the U.S. and abroad. Okay. Wow. So. <laughs> That's a lot of sausage, yeah. <laughs> yes, that is definitely true. Uh, I personally don't know because I don't I don't eat pork, but <laughs> apparently. Well, yeah, it, there's there's many other ways. If you eat corn, you're contributing to the Kansas uh, economy one way or the other. Right, that's true. Um, and it, it looks <laughs> that like, is definitely I mean, true. These these pigs seem to be in a uh, an already harvested uh, corn meadow, so they must be really yeah. going to town on the uh, the gleanings there. Um, I I'm, I'm interested. I, I I wonder about the pig wranglers that had to line up the pigs and get them into the shot to get. <laughs> This particular one, it must have been quite a quite a morning getting getting this all all set up. 
Yeah, um, probably. So I, I just have a little more information about about what they would feed the the, the pigs. So they consume over thirty million bushels of grain. Wow. And at the the prices of January twenty nineteen, the pork industry spends over ninety million dollars just on grain and corn for these pigs. Okay, and wow. the pigs also consume over eight million bushels of soybeans hmm. a year. Wow. And wow, and according to twenty nineteen prices, the pork industry spends over sixty four million dollars just on the soybeans that they're feeding these these pigs. Wow. So that's a hell of a lot of money. I just yeah, yeah. And plus, I mean, just the amount of the amount of money you have to spend on soap after you're done working with the pigs all day. I can't <laughs> I, I don't know how you get that I don't know how you get the smell out. The smell is just un, unbelievable. I I've I've never I I I I've lived in farm country in Virginia and uh that's where Smithfield hams and things come from. There's a lot of there's a lot of pigs in in Virginia and chicken chicken uh, coops smell pretty bad. If you've been around chickens, they're pretty nasty smelling, but if you could just crank that up about 10 times, that's what a pig farm smells oh, like. Wow. So it's just huh. um but yeah, yeah no thanks. but yeah, it's, it's interesting it's interesting <laughs> that they they drop this they drop this in on a 5 second thing. So I guess, you know, people who have been around the farms know what that smells like and if you don't you can imagine how, how bad this right. is but, I, uh, I think it's subliminal yeah, because it, most people aren't going to register it i mean when you're doing it minute by minute yeah. you will see it but otherwise yeah, yeah you're not really yeah. gonna i'm just it. trying to imagine imagine trying to eat at uh eddie's you know there's a restaurant with cocktails and just trying to eat eat lunch there or eat a, <laughs> eat a breakfast while you're smelling this uh, aroma coming from across the highway uh, but yeah, it just it just looks like not a place you want to one place you want to get up early and get out of town. Exactly. Yeah. So that I mean, thank, thankfully, very, most of my experiences expensive. in motels were when we were going on a family trip somewhere. So you know, we get there late at night and we'd leave first thing in the morning, and that was it. We never yeah. stayed. Doesn't matter. <laughs> we would we would take probably places similar to this where where it's in the middle of nowhere. You know, you're just somewhere on the the Pennsylvania Turnpike, you know, or something like that. And just, all right, we're going to stop yeah. here and that's it. Nothing planned or anything like that. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I stayed once in uh, Monroe, Louisiana. My, uh, it was just dri driving late at night and Monroe is in the Northeastern part of Louisiana. And we pulled in and I smelled something not that great. I couldn't figure out what it was, but I thought, Oh, I'll find out in the morning. It's probably just something temporary. Got up in the morning and there was a paper mill next door to this, this hotel. We we're saying you couldn't see it at night because it was just, uh, it was dark and, and rainy, but when morning came up, it was hot and there was this, just this haze, this, this, um, this yellow haze in the air and the smell of, uh, fermenting wood pulp was wow. horrific. I, I, even thinking about it now, this was like 20 years ago, but thinking about it even now, I, my nose still just crunches up thinking about it, but, uh, paper mills, I, I, I couldn't imagine living in a town with a paper mill that smelled like that. But um, yeah, anyway, that's, yeah. That's, that's my reflection on this particular couple of seconds. All right. So you have anything else for this minute? No, I'm, I'm good for this. Of All right. So we'll, I, we'll uh, now talk about the few discrepancies in, in the, in the script. So the first thing is, is that before, as soon as Neil and Dell get into bed, they actually both apologize to one another. Oh. You know, Neil says, sorry. And then Dell waits a, a, for a long pause and says, so am I. And then they, they both wish each other good night and go to sleep. 
Del then starts talking about bed bugs and stuff like that, but we're not, mm. not really going to go into that because he starts yeah. saying, uh, you know, sleep tight, don't let the bed bugs bite, and then and then starts talking about the fact, that, oh well, I've actually never seen a bed bug, and things like that. So <laughs> after they go to sleep, then we have a three three line description of what happens with with this intruder. Okay, so one of the things that was cut out of the the final cut of the movie was the fact that they had ordered pizza and beer. Okay. Ah, Which, that explains the, the Miller can. That is correct. So they had ordered it. And when the pizza boy came and I mean, we discussed this uh, a week and a half ago, but just to refresh everyone's memory, when the pizza boy showed up, so Neil was in the shower and Dell didn't have, couldn't find his wallet. So he basically took money out of, Neil's wallet and paid for it from there. Oh, so okay. then Dell gets into an argument with the pizza boy about a tip. So the the phrase in the script at this point says the pizza boy still hanging around. He puts his ear to the door and listens. He reaches into his back pocket and withdraws a room key. And that's all it says. Okay. And obviously, you know, he, the script leaves it open, the fact that he actually goes into the room and steals their money. But it basically all has to do in the script with the fact that he got into an argument with Dell over the tip. So he basically decided, I'm going to come and take my own tip. But the the thing that really gets me with that, with this, this phrase, is the fact that he actually has a room key. You know, he's not using yeah. a switchblade. I, I guess they decided in the in the final cut that they would change it and make it look like that that he's breaking in instead of just using a key. You know, maybe he knows Gus, and maybe he, you know, maybe maybe Gus was yeah. sleeping and and he just walked in and took a, took an yeah. extra key or something like that. Or maybe yeah, maybe it was part of housekeeping or something that, that was his other job was working yeah. at the hotel. So or what I find very interesting is apparently when they filmed this, so Gary Riley had a larger part in this, and he was the pizza boy. And because of all the editing that they did they actually changed his character from being a pizza boy to being a motel thief. Wow. So, huh. and then I wonder how uh, Gary felt about that. No clue. <laughs> I tried getting in touch with him on Facebook, but he didn't respond. So hopefully, hopefully one day we'll respond and I'll be able to, to, to chat with him a little bit to find out what he, what he says about all this, who knows. And then the, the last thing is they describe the, the motel in the morning and it's basically it's one line and it says it's even uglier in the daylight in the middle of nothing. <laughs> That's all it says. Well, mission accomplished. Yeah. <laughs> you follow that part completely, of the letter. Completely. All right. So every Wednesday we do a, a little segment known as Hughes Hump Day. So Jim is going to give us his top five movies by John Hughes. Okay. Well, um, it, it, it's John Hughes. I, as I said, I'm not the biggest fan of John Hughes, uh, but I do I do admire his ability, his creative skills. Um, and so let me give you a we'll go we'll have a countdown from five. Uh, number five was he wrote the original story that uh, National Lampoon's Vacation was based on. It was called um, Vacation 58. I remember reading it um, in National Lampoon. Um, he, he wrote in a style similar to, there was a, there was an author back in, uh, around the turn of the century named Ring Lardner and, uh, Ring Lardner wrote a, a similar story called the young immigrants. And it was about a, a trip, uh, in the 1920s or thirties to Niagara Falls with a family. That's where the, there's a frequent phrase that people will refer to called uh, shut up. He explained, 
and Ring Ring Lardner came up with that uh, with that uh, that thing. So he he kind of copied Ring Lardner into this idea of a bad vacation gone wrong. Um, uh, I, and I, and he, he wrote similar to that. I mean, back in the early, early 70s, uh, National Lampoon people like P.J. O'Rourke and, uh, uh, and, and um, uh, John Hughes wrote, you know, wrote these great stories that were, would eventually become things like Ghostbusters and uh, Animal House and stuff. So uh, I appreciate that. Um, I, even though it wasn't a John Hughes film, it was in the, it was in the style of John Hughes because uh uh, he, John wrote the screenplay for Home Alone, which uh, Chris Columbus directed, and it has all the elements of a John Hughes film: Chicago area, uh, upper middle class family, uh, interactions mm-hmm. between parents and kids, uh, young young main characters. Uh, I thought that you know it it wasn't a John Hughes film, but uh, Chris Columbus really did get the style of a John Hughes movie down very much, and and also that cartoon like. Um, you know, where where it sometimes it's like the Roadrunner and the Coyote. This was more like a Tom and Jerry uh, film, where you know the back, the back and forth between the burglars right. and uh, Macaulay Culkin. Um, number three, speaking of Chicago area films of John Hughes, uh, I think the most Chicagoy film was uh, uh, number three, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Yeah. Um, has has all those elements. A lot of kids with free time on their hands and uh, young young actors uh, doing uh, slapstick comedy. Uh, there's always uh, the foil, the, the principal, the parents, uh, all, all, you know, it has, I think Ferris Bueller is probably the peak John Hughes film. Yeah. Um, number two, Breakfast Club, which could almost work as a stage play. I've, I was impressed by Hughes does a lot of dialogue. He doesn't really rely on action. Mostly it's set pieces. You have a, a, a camera that's not moving a lot. Um, and he tells, um, he tells stories mostly through their char- the character's dialogue, uh, similar to what Kevin Smith does in a lot of his. Although Kevin Smith usually does it with more more comedic aspects, and, and he it. uses but, a lot more colorful metaphors. <laughs> yes, that's true. That's true. And he, you know, and again, it's another another um, it's another Brat Pack film. You've got uh, some really big stars uh, in in the film. You've got Emilio Estevez. You know, oh, you don't have to go through the, the cast list. And and his his typical foil, Paul Gleason, always the perfect. The perfect foil, yeah. um, and, and then uh, number one film, of course, with with John Hughes. I don't think there's too much of arguments with people. It's Sixteen Candles, I think, is one of his best films uh, that he's ever done, using Molly Ringwald as the centerpiece. Um, he did understand teenage uh, teenage problems. I mean, uh, here Molly Ringwald's character uh, gets forgotten on her 16th birthday while everything else is going on around them. Um, it it's uh it's very centered on John Hughes's audience, which was teenagers and you know young twenty somethings who either are experiencing what John Hughes is displaying on film or have recently experienced and can relate to the characters that are on screen. Some of the stuff is ridiculous, of course, but that's it's comedy and it doesn't have to it doesn't have to all make sense um, right and uh, so yeah that's that's where i'm at I'd say sixteen candles was was peak John Hughes. Um, All right. Excellent. That's great. Thank you very much. So once again, we have our our daily segment off the beaten track where Jim will tell us another one of his interesting adventures or misadventures. (laughs) Well, this this one's a little bit more recent. I I think earlier in the week I told childhood ones, but uh, here's one from a couple of years back. Speaking of the middle of the country, uh, I live in Texas. Um, My my good friends, uh, Hal Bryan and Chris Henry, who have done several 
podcast with uh, invited me up to, uh, they, they both work for the Experimental Aircraft Association in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. And at the time, uh, at the time they had invited me up to, uh, to Oshkosh to visit the, uh, the EA's headquarters, uh, it was the 50th anniversary of Apollo 8, uh, first, first time mankind ever went around the moon. And uh, their guest speaker was going to be uh, Frank Borman, who was a oh, chi- wow. childhood hero of mine. He was Times Man of the Year in 1968. Um, he's the first man to you know, pilot a Saturn V. And it, no one had ever flown on a Saturn V before. And the previous mission of a Sat- Saturn V almost ended in disaster as the ship almost you know, br- uh, blew itself apart. So he drove it to the moon. And this was the 50th anniversary of Apollo 8. Um, and so I went up to uh, to see them. I have a uh, I, I drive an electric car. I've had it for years, a, a Tesla. And um, I got to meet uh, Frank Borman. We recorded a couple of episodes of our podcast up with him. And then it was time to go to lunch. He was going to be giving a keynote speech at the at the 50th anniversary dinner. And so uh, I said, Colonel, have you ever been in a uh, in an electric car before? He said, No, I haven't. I've I've been reading about them, but I never have. So. I got Frank, Frank Borman was my co-pilot from, uh, from the EAA's headquarters. We went to, we went to lunch at a little place, uh, around the corner. And, um, he was, he was looking at, he was looking at the inside of the car as I was driving and he said, wow, this is the future. I'm like, Frank, you've been to the moon. Okay. <laughs> that's, that's about as future as it gets. I'm just giving you a ride in the car, but you know, I get my, my thing about this, that whole little episode and he, he loved that car. He th- he thought it was, it was great. And, uh, and you didn't yeah, let him drive? Asked if you wanted to, and he said, "No, no, no, I'm fine." Anyway, he flies planes. <laughs> he flies a lot faster than my Tesla could ever go. But he, uh, just a, just a very nice guy. He's, you know, it, it, people they say you shouldn't meet your heroes, but gosh, if you ever get a chance to meet Frank Borman, I'd say do it. He, uh, he's hilarious. He's hilarious. He's very, uh, very witty, very, uh, uh, very dry humor. But uh, I'm, you know, the other side of it was that uh, I can now say that I had Frank Borman as my co-pilot. <laughs> Gonna like I told my I told my wife I said you know this she always sits on the she likes me driving so she uh she was sitting in the passenger seat I said you know we get a plaque or something that said Colonel Borman sat here <laughs> so we'll <laughs> see um, but anyway that's that's my story for today about traveling I'm always amazed at your stories thank you very much Jim that was once again another fascinating story so why don't you once again tell people how they can get in touch with you. Okay. Uh, well, as as we speak, somewhere on another channel, the uh, but you know probably where you found this this podcast, we are running a group project for movies by minutes called the Silverado Minute, where we take apart the 1985 Lawrence Kasdan directed feature. And uh, so, if you like uh, westerns, if you, even if you don't like westerns, a lot of people who don't watch westerns but came in to talk about it, we've got 26 teams of movies by minutes hosts ready to talk about Silverado. So we're in the middle of there. So uh, drop by, listen there. You can find it at uh, anywhere you're listening to this podcast, probably. And also at our main site, silveradominute.com. All right. Excellent. And finding me is even simpler. All you do is a quick search for movie Rob minute and you can find me on Twitter, find me on Facebook, or you can find my website. So until tomorrow, you're fine. Yeah, basically you're fine. <laughs>